actually watched a game featuring Partizan Belgrade now, Ed. Um, do you think that preview is going to be the right word for the, for that game? Well, we're experts, aren't we? Yeah, okay. All right. Okay, good. I mean, the manager is some dude who used to play for Aston Villa. I remember that much. And uh, Zoran Tosic is in their squad. Age yeah. There we go. 30 odd. There you go. Let's preview. We're going to smash him. <laughs> so let's go back to happier times then. Um, and uh, United's really lovely victory against Chelsea in the Carabao Cup. I mean, it was a basically a full, close to full strength United side. Martial rested. Lingard in the side, who hasn't been of late. Back to three at the back. Um, and a really effective, efficient performance capped off by what can only be described as an absolute wonder goal from Marcus Rashford. Yeah, the goal was definitely the best part of the game. I mean, United United played the best they do play under Oli, which is trying to take advantage of uh, transitions, trying to win the ball high up the field, uh, not having too much possession, 30-something percent, I think you said, which coincidentally is about how many points we're going to finish on this season, <laughs> I reckon. No. Um, so yeah, thirty four percent. So it's it's that's the kind of game that United can look decent in, uh, and did for for much of this game. I mean, uh, as you pointed out, as we were chatting about this before the the game, this was a Chelsea side with uh, Guehi, never heard of him in central defence. Gilmore, never heard of him either. He was in the midfield. guitarist in Pink Floyd. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> aged about seventy five now. Uh, and Batshuayi up front scores like never, except scores, in this game. Scores, scores every every time he plays. Goal, goal per 90 minutes or something on average in his career. <laughs> yeah. So not the strongest Chelsea side possible. We were close to full strength, but look, decent. And uh, everyone felt pretty positive coming out of this game because um, the draw with Liverpool, the win at Norwich, the win at Partizan, the win against Chelsea like it's all it was all looking much much better yeah from no away wins till March since March to three away wins on the bounce it was uh it was quite a big change although of course like context is king isn't it so two of those away wins were against Partizan Belgrade in the Europa League and not that that isn't a challenging fixture in some ways because it is um but the and Chelsea away is also a challenging fixture but the context of the games meant there was just way less at stake. And uh, the the big positives, I mean, apart from Rashford's lovely goal, which keeps that percentage ticking up because, like, the knuckleballs drive everyone mad when they fly into the top tier and loads of stuff doing the rounds on Instagram of, um, you know, a variety of United fans, including beloved friends of the show, um, declaring that someone's getting leathered, <laughs> someone in the back row is getting hit real hard in the face here. Um, but of course, it went in the top corner because every now and again they go in the top corner. And about like Rashford's free kick average that we've talked about is actually pretty good. His penalty average not so good, but that's one one in the wing column. And and you know another start a step run up this time. It looked like Caballero did move a little bit, and so Rashford was able to to put it to his well left as Rashford was looking the keeper's right as the keeper went left and it was it was really you know it was a big moment given what had happened and I thought it was a big moment to concede an equaliser and still kind of have the conviction to come back that that free kick was not exactly out of the blue we looked 
you know, it probably did look the team most likely to, to get a winner, I thought, in that game. Maybe a bit red-tinted spectacles there. Yeah, I mean, a little bit. I mean, it depends. I mean, um, if this was Jose Mourinho in charge, he would be arguing that United were in control of the game. So that, that Chelsea were creating chances, but not great chances, and United were dictating the pattern of the play. Um, if it was Pep Guardiola in charge, he would be, you know, of Chelsea, he would be complaining that they had 65% possession and and only one team was trying to play the game. So, you know, I guess I guess it depends on your perspective on that one. So, But but I thought the most important thing about the Carling Cup game was, well, A, United are through and it's, it's realistically the best chance of, of winning a trophy. Other, you know, who, who knows what kind of FA Cup draw we'll get. Um, uh, but the confidence that came from it because... United up to that point were, you know, not not um, not hugely good on the road under Oli. Is that is an understatement? <laughs> Absolutely terrible, truly spectacularly awful. Yeah. So so yeah. talk talk talking of truly spectacularly awful on the road. Shall we? Shall we just transition to this evening's main event? A dissection of yet another laboured. Um, uh, completely devoid of creativity, defensively lax, miserable, pathetic, rubbish display of non-football from the team that we all love. Yeah, but look, we've got to stop talking about Jose Mourinho's time as Manchester United manager. No, I mean, it's, it, 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 Jose's time's looking all right at the moment, isn't it? At least, oh, talk, uh, at least in terms of the record. Talking of Jose, Scott McTominay was absolutely magnificent against Chelsea. Like, absolutely magnificent. Man put in five tackles, which is a lot in a in a game of football for a midfielder, and five interceptions. Yeah. So, like, yeah. absolute big scenes. Um, it has been shared with me that he has been called in some sections of United support McTorine uh, and also McDominate, which is a hard That's better. Love. Yeah, yeah, although that's kind of wrong. Underground Glasgow club of some kind. Uh, your, your kind of place, yeah. Um, look, McTominay's been uh, widely play- praised and uh, rightly so, I, I think, in, in uh, recent times. I mean, I guess we've got to be careful not to go from look this is a young player who's progressing really rapidly and there's a lot of praise for that to suddenly turning him into Roy Keane because he's still not that yet um but he's but he's he's been getting better by the week until the weekend game although he he wasn't the worst of the bunch uh, he didn't have this uh, the same kind of dominating domi- dominating performance uh, against Bournemouth as he as he did against Chelsea but then neither did anyone. So um, 20 minutes into this game, I messaged you and Tom saying, uh, I think United look really good here. I think we look really, um, really well organised with the ball. So this is, this is, I think, probably the first time I've been able to say this all season. First 20 minutes of that game, every time we went forward, there were midfielders breaking to support the attackers. The attackers were not miles away from each other there wasn't they weren't all getting congested in the same areas there was movement and and um intent up front once again we we have o-ring theory to thank for loads of for no nothing really coming off in that period uh, of time and then uh, they just i mean once Bournemouth kind of deserved their goal in a way they they sort of like 
kind of got themselves back into the game. The, that last period of the first half was quite scrappy. In a way, that was absolutely horrendous. It is, you know, we're going to annihilate United here, but like I would didn't I wouldn't want to go to the shops in that weather, let alone try and be a professional who's good at a sport in that weather. Um, and it was a very low quality game in general, not just not just from United, but I mean, once we went one nil down. It was a truly feeble effort, wasn't it? Not in terms yeah. of not in terms of not trying. I want to make that clear. Like these are professional athletes who are trying, but devoid of quality, devoid of ideas, devoid of any kind of attacking consistency. Just utterly miserable. Yeah, just just looking at the numbers from the first twenty minutes, and and you know your your impression rings fairly true. Four shots, just the one on target, hundred completed passes. So you know, dominant by. 30 or 40% in terms of possession there, percentage points um, uh, against Bournemouth. So, you know, well well on top. Um, but yes, uh, I think from there on, uh, it was it was truly as bad as it gets uh, this season, or perhaps, you know, forever under Oli. You, you mentioned O-Ring, this time not Ashley Young, but Andres Pereira. He's inheriting I mean, the mantle. What, what, what insult... Is the best one for him, you know, not quite a competition winner, but he he's looked so out of place. He he made fifteen completed passes in his time on the pitch. Obviously, he came off early, F- just fifteen, and he's United's number ten, supposedly the the furthest forward player, the one who was supposed to be um, the creative fulcrum of the United side. Five completed passes in the final third, and you just, know. It, it's you know you said what insult is is suitable for him and I think he doesn't deserve an insult because again there's no lack of endeavor there like um, one of the most frustrating things about Pereira at ten is he gets into the right position a lot like a lot of things are trying to come through him but it's not coming off and and I don't think I think he's I'm not sure what his ceiling is but I also do think he is spectacularly out of form as well and that he's really difficult. You know, it's it's very difficult when when everything starts slipping away from you. So yeah. I have some sympathy for him, but he's his performance levels are absolutely atrocious. Well, he got some praise recently. Was it the game against Liverpool where he played sort of more defensive forward, trying to win the ball back, got uh, t- a few tackles in, a few interceptions, ball recoveries and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, that supports your thesis that he's trying. It's, he's just... Like not very good, or not much of it's coming off, or yeah. both. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's my that's that would be my guess. My non-expert guess would be it's both. He's he's not very good, and he's very out of form, which is a that's a devastating combination, isn't it? That's that's really yeah. Bad. And 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 he's in the team because the other two real options at number ten are one matter who who I don't know if a man can get slower than one matter. But, he's but, got to go yeah. in January, matter right? He's got. To... Well, like, well, they just they just gave him a three year contract in the summer. Wow! They just gave him a three year contract. <laughs> <laughs> this club, I mean, it's average asset, from asset top protection. to the right to the bottom, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then then Jesse Lingard, he hasn't scored a goal in fifteen months. Got an assist though the other day by knocking it sideways to someone for a wonder goal. Um, he uh, he played all right against Chelsea actually, Jesse Lingard, having not not been good for a really long time um not that he was fantastic or anything but he was all right which made a nice change uh but yeah Pereira I mean 
there are options like you know play Greenwood, play an authentic four three three. Like you you mentioned, you play Greenwood on the right, James on the left, and Rashford at number ten. I don't you know you mentioned he played a lot there as a as a young player, and you know he certainly puts the defensive shift in, and and I'm not sure he's. He's de- listen. He's not a traditional foot on the ball number ten, um, but they don't really exist anymore, hardly. Um, although Chelsea have weirdly got a load of them, um, and Leicester, um, but they don't play there. Uh, but anyway, yeah, um, the, the Pereira thing is is a, is a huge issue at the moment, and it's not a, a scapegoaty thing. It's not a personal thing. It's just the reality of you look yeah. at this United side and say, where are the problems? Well, all the- over the pitch. Yeah, Rash- Rashford and Martial are flaky as anything. Like on their day, they're both genuinely world beaters. Genuinely, you know, that's not an exaggeration. We saw Rashford's free kick. There's not that many people, literally, there's not that many humans in the world that can do that, and he's one of them. Um, Martial, we know what a devastating striker he can be. Even, even including this Bournemouth game, if you look at his goals per minute record this season, it's excellent. Um, Fred looks like a footballer. All of a sudden, he was all right against Chelsea, and I thought he was—he really was really good in that first few minutes against um, against Bournemouth. Yeah, I mean, he actually managed to keep the ball, which is his you know big weakness, isn't it? Giving the ball away a lot, so um, he he managed to to complete most of his passes, and they were into decent areas. So I, was... I, th- I think we've set a low bar for Fred, and and so I think that's the kind of performance which would be a sort of six, seven out of ten um, if if. He really was truly a fifty-two million pound player, but because he's been terrible, we're like, "Wow, there's hope! There's hope that maybe he's more than a pub player." But that's that's the thing, though, isn't it? Like this season is all just about desperately scrambling around for hope, and the idea that Fred might be a footballer is sort of a weird. And and you know, this has come on the basis of probably his first ever run in the side at United because he's not had a proper run ever since he arrived. And so the fact that I'm not saying he's like growing into a world beater, but he's growing into a functional footballer. You know, he, he ran, we beat a few, beat a few players as well against Bournemouth. Um, anyway, listen, I don't know why I'm scrambling around for positives. I thought Lindelof and Maguire were desperately shocking. wan was fine and Ashley Young uh, <laughs> described by one, uh, <coughs> sorry, I was trying to say this with a straight face, reputable Manchester United um, reporter as evergreen this week. The evergreen <laughs> Ashley Young. I'm not going to name that reporter, but... Um, <laughs> just, just go let's, Google it. <laughs> yeah, just Google the phrase evergreen Ashley Young and you'll find this particular reporter has made that reference on multiple occasions for a few years, which is very funny to me. Uh, well, and, uh, I, I mean, I guess he's not dead, and it is almost winter time. <laughs> yeah, and you know he's still very physically fit. He just um, offers nothing defensively or in an attacking capacity. It's it's horrible. I hate talking about this. You know, um, uh, Andy Mitten interviewed Chris Smalling for the Athletic, and yes. Chris Smalling was talking about you know um the tendency among groups of supporters and he didn't specify united supporters but it's definitely a thing among united supporters to single out players for blame and that that definitely happens and and um, yeah it's not just united supporters by no, the way that no. and 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 look supporters since the the you know the dawn of time or football at least have complained about players it's just that there's so much more of a herd mentality when you can get instant reaction online you know, yeah, and magnify it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I just don't like being part of that noise about Ashley Young. But, you know, this is a United podcast where we every week analyse performance levels and Ashley Young's been dreadful all season and yet he gets Dude, in the team Dude, we've been complaining week. about Ashley Young for six years. I know, but I don't like doing it. <laughs> I really don't like doing it. Anyway. Yeah, no, like, I, I get it. And I, I don't think we're trying to pile on and hate on him for the sake of it. And, um, you know, I, I know the name of this podcast is uh, Rantcast, but we don't do an awful lot of ranting on it. It's kind of historical rather than a reflection of the, the kind of um, discussion we typically have on here. But he's been a bit for a very, very long time. And I think that's a fair observation rather than yeah. piling on. Yeah, exactly. And talking of uh, not very good, Oli Solskjaer's substitutions... I mean, it's the, I think maybe it was Van Hal that we really complained about this about, but it's the kind of pre-programmed, right, 75 minutes, Greenwood on now. You know, it's, it's it's like you can almost set your watch by it. I mean, I'm not a spread better or any kind of better, but if you were a spread better, I'm sure that uh, the prices you get for Solskjaer's substitution minutes probably wouldn't be very good. Yeah, but, but the thing is, I mean, that was the thing that was surprising about the Chelsea game because he switched, made the switch in the second half after Batshuayi scored from three at the back to a back four and brought on two attacking players and changed the game in many ways. And, and you know, you said United seemed more, the more likely to, to score and win that game, uh, even though we won it through a set piece. And, and that was because Oli was brave with his substitutions. But it, they, the reason why it's surprising is because it never happens. Mm. Uh, the, the kind of uh, the introduction of Brandon Williams when he did... Um, I, I, you know, I'm not, I, I don't understand why he isn't starting. He was excellent again, um, against Chelsea. Uh, yeah. So. I mean, I mean, look, I think the only argument at this stage is that he's protecting him. He had a tough game midweek, yeah, and and two big games in a week for a player who's only just coming to the side. Yeah, it's a lot. Is a it lot. Is a lot. Um, but Mason Greenwood as well. Like, I, I, I'm, I am frustrated by the way. I'm, Greenwood's being used and it's not like he's setting the world on fire every time he comes on but he hit the woodwork in in this game after he came on we've seen him obviously like we've talked about him scoring a couple of goals and it was the only player in our squad scoring it'd be fascinating to see him getting 90 minutes at the top level and and given that his competition is essentially Andreas Pereira that there really isn't much of an excuse not to not to be playing him or at least not bring him on bring him on after 55 minutes what Pereira isn't suddenly going to magically you know yeah, I mean, the the question with Mason is where to play him. So I'm sure he'd rather play through the middle. That's where he, he's typically been playing for the under-23s, the under-18s, although he's he's not even had that much football at under-23s in a level, has he? So um, he's played almost exclusively off the right, I think I'm correct in saying, when he's come on for those brief periods. At the moment, Daniel James is playing there and doing okay. He wasn't good against Bournemouth, didn't really you know get any headway at all um against uh rico and fraser down that side um, oh fraser's it's... a scumbag by the way <laughs> the, the proper like toxic masculinity fc bournemouth there was like a lot of very angry violence followed by protestations at the ref lewis cook with a disgusting tackle at one point as well yeah, well, he got booked for it, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, he, well, and well deserved. But yeah, toxic masculine EFC. That was that was what leapt out to me about that game as well. Good, good defender though, Lewis Cook. Well, I mean, you know, he's a he's a kind of basic bulldog of a defender, isn't he? 
Yeah. Um, so I was surprised yeah. by Ryan Fraser's level of violence. Maybe I just hadn't paid enough attention to him. <laughs> uh, anyway, so so uh, Daniel James didn't get a lot of headway. I'm sure James would rather come off the left. It's where he's, I think, most effective because he can cut in and shoot, as we've seen. Uh, and he's not he's not really a classic winger. I, there aren't any wingers left. I, I bet in five years' time there, there just aren't any wingers. I mean, pretty much everyone's an inverted forward these days. So um, it seems to be the trend, and no one's really switching that up. And so it's you know it's a little hard for him to be expected to go on the outside or come inside on the weaker foot, and and he tends to then either run into traffic or have to play inside uh, into even more traffic. But he was at least, I mean, again, like he was a fairly bright option in the first part of the game. I definitely think, by the way, I should clarify that my analysis of this game is also predicated on the fact that I was really ill while watching it. And so I literally fell asleep for about 20 minutes of the second half. So there's a big period of it. But I am given to understand that almost literally nothing happened in that 20 minutes. So, you know, it's probably fine. Yeah. Actually, the the second half was just deeply, deeply depressing. Uh, Josh King had obviously scored just just before half time, uh, or oh, it's a bad time to concede a goal and all that nonsense. But uh, United just nothing. It was just nothing. And in that sort of final fifteen minutes or so, when you're expecting the the big push to come, it was, it was just like they put their foot down on the pedal and the engine just said. Nope. Yeah. Now, I have to say, they are obviously professional athletes, but they're also human, and maybe Solskjaer paid a bit of the price for playing such a full-strength side against Chelsea. And then, you know, we talked about this um, We talked about this in the context of how much rotation there would be and mentioned the fact that this was a Saturday lunchtime game, so surely there'd be a great deal of rotation on that basis. But actually, there was very little rotation. And, you know, um, trying to play football in those conditions and just trying to do any athletic endeavour in those conditions at the end of the game, you're less likely to have stuff in the tank. Not like even Bournemouth, who hadn't played midweek, or I don't know if the, Bournemouth, who may or may not have played in midweek, I've done no research. Um, it didn't look like they had a ton in the tank at the end of that game either. Like it, it was it was horrible conditions and, and that, that does definitely makes a difference to the quality of spectacle on offer. Sure, sure. And, and, Okay, not great football, but damn it, you can run in in a bit of wind and rain. <laughs> it's like yeah, but I, I, I don't. It, there's just nothing happening from United, yeah. and and, and it, it's not like like I think it's a shun, s h u n, or or a lack of effort or anything like that. I, it's not. I think it's that, but they they were just not able to ratchet up the intensity, which is what you would expect. Yeah. And, you know, and of you a know, team chasing a, a like, like it was the kind of performance that if you didn't know where United were in the table or anything about previous results, you'd go, hmm, that looks like a relegation team. Yeah, and you know, I'm not looking for excuses for them because I don't think they really warrant any excuses. What I'm trying to understand is why why this happened because they're not um, terrible footballers. They're they're not terrible footballers. Like there's there's issues, but but there's also real quality and real talent in among them, and um, it's not being delivered at all. And you know, you said like a bad time to score nonsense, but the thing about United is it really is a bad time for United to concede because their their emotional state is clearly fragile. Mm. Their confidence. Well, is... well, to be honest, any anywhere between the 
first and the 90th minute is a bad time for United to concede because we just you're, don't create any good chances. You're right. This is a very good point. Not 0.64 on the XG this week. Which is unusual. Like, unusual for us to lose the XG yeah, we, as well we, as the we actual We normally game. win the XG. We have moral victors on <laughs> XG, yeah. I mean, look, part of the... Of, and, and it is a broken record answer here, but part of the obvious reason why this happened is we had nearly 60% possession. So it, we look much better when we're looking for you know balls won in the second phase high up the pitch or or breaking in the transition you know scored against norwich um daniel james wonderful ball beating three players but it was from a quick break and a transition yeah you know and and every other every decent performance is basically in in games like that hardly ever managed to dominate a game in terms of possession win and win looking good no, I cannot remember the last time that happened, um, and the 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 kind of indictment. The, you know the, that first twenty minutes I was talking about. One of the things we were doing was putting pressure on Bournemouth high up the pitch and creating those turnovers and transitions in the, their final third, or at least you know in their half. And that is what this team should be set up to do. And if you look at the personnel, you look at that personnel, like um, Pereira can press and, and Harry, he can do that. Uh, Rashford and James obviously have got the physicality to do that and the willingness to do that. McTominay and Fred behind them, that is actually a unit that can win back the ball high up the pitch. And they were doing a lot of that early in the game, but they just stopped. It just, it just isn't... It just does not look like a very well-drilled team at all. At all. And the the... So when a team does not look well drilled and is desperately short of confidence and there's nothing happening with in-game management, um, you know, like, hello, and they've appointed on a wild whim a beloved figure with absolutely no proven experience at this level. I mean, uh, uh, I think there might be a fairly obvious problem that we haven't really talked about very much because of how much we love the obvious problem. Yeah, yeah, I mean... 48 games in now. When's when's a fair time to start making judgments? <laughs> about I mean look there's 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 uh, obviously there's lots of nuance to this one. Uh, you don't find much of that on Twitter obviously. I mean it's not a, it's not a place that does well for nuance. Um but uh, he he doesn't have a good squad. He didn't get everything he needed in the summer. Um the club has been quite happy to be let it known that that Oli Oli was happy uh, with the changes. He wanted Sanchez and Lukaku out, um, and rightly Oli. so. And, and yeah, that's rightly so. But but now we look thin in forward areas and and extremely thin in midfield areas, having lost what three senior midfielders in the past year. So and it's yeah. So in in pretty big trouble. So he's not got the tools that he needs. Um, but given the tools he's got, should he be doing better than 10? I mean, should he be doing better than... Because in the first 20... I keep going on about the first 20 minutes of this game. But in that first 20 minutes, this was a brilliant example of a game where I thought to myself, do you know what? If we play like this all the way through the game, I really don't care what the result is. If If this is what we're seeing, then this is exactly what we mean when we say this isn't just about United wanting United to win every game. It's about wanting to see something from them. And um, unfortunately, what happened was we only saw that for a, a tiny period of time. And as soon as the bubble was burst, it deflated instantly and completely. And 
I do not understand why the entire focus of the coaching squad is not on confidence building, confidence building, confidence building. Honestly, this is a team that should be working with sports psychologists around the clock because the the technical stuff, like there, there are problems with that, but um, a good sort of 75% of the squad literally just need to believe in themselves. That's like it's that's the missing ingredient. Um and if they had that, we know they've got the capacity to do damage to other teams. Um so yeah, it's it's that's the kind of biggest indictment on Solskjaer. And I'm not surprised because listen, if Solskjaer was Moyes, what we'd be saying is it's not really surprising that their team don't feel like they've got confidence instilled in them by a manager whose touchline presence is so uh, shaky, nervous looking, like a schoolboy in grown ups' clothes half the time. I mean, he's obviously got the baby face that doesn't help that, but I'm talking about his facial expression. And more, more than anything, I'm talking about the vibe that radiates off him like a beacon saying, Ah, help me. <laughs> this isn't going like I hoped it would. Yes. I mean, it's not that he's looking just yet like a man expecting the sack. I mean, maybe he buys into the the message that he's got his three years, and that's yeah, they have a plan. I mean, in in a way, Ed Woodward is you know, he's bound to him. I mean, he made this deci- decision, this this emotional decision, to appoint Ollie full time when he didn't have to do that, you know, because he he thought that it bought him time from the pressure that was coming from fans and now sponsors in the past week from investors, not a very important investor, but from investors. So. Um and and now it's going to look extremely weak if he sacks him. Extremely weak. It, it's the question is, I guess, is when it gets to the point of no return, where it's just going to get worse. So I mean, I made a joke at the beginning that we're at the top half of the table. I mean, we'd have been eleventh if Spurs had won. Um, if Everton had won, we'd be like only a point ahead of them. Everton, you've had. Well, yeah, An um, unbelievable, unbelievably bad start. It was, it was just funny that like Crystal Palace lost the game before that Everton Tottenham game, and, and are still above us in the league, having lost the, Crystal Palace, having lost this weekend in the eleventh round of games in the Premier League, are still above us. Like this game was so honestly. Um, I, I was talking to a friend of the show who gets mentioned a lot, Cal Gildart, because we we talk a lot during games, and I was talking to him at half time. And he said, this is such a cliche, but this is a massive 45 minutes. And that's exactly how it felt. It felt like all this momentum, uh, you know, we've got four games unbeaten, three of which of those are away wins and the draw is against, you know, the team at the top of the league and our arch rivals. And we were unlucky to draw that game or at least, you know, felt a little hard done by to draw that game. Um, And then you know, we started strong against Bournemouth, then we conceded that goal. This 45 minutes now says, okay, are we just straight back into crisis mode? Or are we actually, no, do you know what? There is a kernel of something here. That that kind of combination of really good signings in the summer, not enough, but really good ones, and the refresh of the squad and the reintroduction of Martial as a number nine and, you know, the, the emergence of McTominay, all these things that, you know, genuinely could look real different with a slightly different slant. But no, instead, we got absolutely nothing and we're left, like you say, clinging onto the top half of the table, 11, you know, almost a quarter of the way through the season. No, yeah, almost a 
No, we're more than a quarter of the way through the season, almost a third into the season. So it's it's really it is really bad. That that performance was it's not like Bournemouth had to be brilliant. They weren't defensively brilliant. They weren't it wasn't like an amazing back to the wall performance where they're going out of it, everyone like pumping their fists, like, yes, we are Bournemouth. The cherries are hard. You know, it was just like, yeah, no, actually, as everyone has been saying, as is clearly the case. United are just not very good. And all the hope of the last few weeks and all that kind of little kernel of optimism evaporated under the slightest pressure. That's right. And I mean, well, just one thing you said there about got very good signings, uh, not enough of them. I, I still, there's still a question about that. I mean, uh, Wednesday night, Harry Maguire got beaten far too easily for that goal. I, I count that as six goals this season in which Harry Maguire could have done better. Um, and, and look, I think he's a, a very good defender, but, you know, but um, Wan-Bissaka's not made too many errors. I think we, we know where his strengths and weaknesses are. And Daniel James tries really hard, done some good things, but like he's had a lot of ineffective games as well as, lots of bright things, and it's about expectations. You know, if he's having the same game in a year's time, I think we're going to be disappointed with him. So, uh, like, I'm, that... I, it's not, I'm, not, I'm not saying they're bad signings. I'm just saying they're not all fantastic. They're, they they brought in a young kid who is still learning his trade. Maguire, who's got to step up a level, right? Because um, I think this is his career, to be honest. I, you know, and... Um, I don't think he's been playing at an elite level all his career. Uh, and he now needs to get to that elite level. And Wan Bazaka, who's who's still learning, he's twenty one, he's still learning. But yeah, and I guess I guess to, to be to be clear, like I was kind of deliberately painting the rosiest picture of events like that that we could be seeing, rather than saying definitively these are three excellent signings, although actually that is more or less my position on them is that uh, this is the best summer transfer business United have done for a long time in terms of incoming, but we'll see. I mean, you're right about Maguire's errors, but it's probably also worth going through like how, I mean, just to use the numbers again, because just do this every time, but how little XG United cough up every game and how much that's actually about the fact that defence is completely transformed by the arrival of Wan-Bissaka and Harry Maguire. So, yep, there are individual moments which have been key, but there's been a lot of good stuff as well from both of them. Sure. Um, and 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 my God, where would we be as an attacking unit without Daniel James? So like, yeah, he's had some ineffective games, but fewer ineffective games than the rest of his kind of more storied comrades in attack mm-hmm. and and probably more effective games than them as well, although mm-hmm. you know, that might not be accurate. I actually think, I mean, look, that's all true as well. And, and also part of the, the better defensive performance, I think, is McTominay coming into the side ahead of Matic, for sure. Good Just point. much yep. more effective there. Yeah. Um, so look, I'm definitely not denying that um, United are better defensively, and and Maguire and and Wan-Bissaka's introduction has has helped that. Just a small caveat. Yeah. No. And 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 one that is needed because oh, I'll get giddy. I'll get giddy soon as look at you. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, not much to be giddy about that that performance. Really, really thoroughly and and this is a weird word to use 
about a team that have been so bad so much of this season, but thoroughly disappointing because it did feel a bit like, and this is like the story of post Fergie United. It's like the kind of, oh, wait a minute. Is, it, is something good happening? No, no, nothing good happens. Nothing good ever happens. It's all bad. Whatever happens next is going to be bad. Talking of which, I suppose we should move on to the big United related news and in inverted commas story of the week. Certainly the, the thing that's been taking social media by storm, um, lots of rumours about uh, an imminent, imminent, there's a big word, United takeover, which would uh, make them better off the pitch. Uh, sorry, better on the pitch. And, <laughs> oh dear, yeah, I'm steady on. That's literally the wrong way around. But probably almost certainly make them better on the pitch would mean that Ed Woodward would almost certainly be sacked and would mean that we would be part of um, a, a deliberate attempt to clean up a PR image uh, without any actual change. So should we take a couple of steps back? What happened? There was a a guy who claims to be the public relations director for some prince or so within the Abu Dhabi, sorry, not Abu Dhabi, Saudi Arabian royal family, House of Saud. Um, I don't know who he is. He's not been, like, prominent in world affairs. uh, claimed that United had been purchased and this was pushed around on social media. It's not been backed up by any sort of reputable media outlets. Certainly, there's no be- not been any filings with the SEC. And this dude on his Twitter profile, I note, uh, claims he uh, spends some of his time in San Francisco. I, I would be expecting a knock at my door um, if uh, if there really is a purchase in um, in the offing by the SEC going, uh, hello, mate, you just juiced the uh, the market a little bit there. <laughs> Very naughty people do go, go to prison for that kind of thing. Anyway, so it's like typically not acceptable to do that in the public sphere. Um, if you remember, Elon Musk um, uh, just claimed that um, uh, Tesla's uh, share price should be higher and that, uh, what else did he claim? That they were thinking of an acquisition of some kind. Anyway, he later claimed uh, he was joking because he was high, um, but he, uh, he's he been forced to relinquish his chairmanship of Tesla. He's also CEO, of course, you know. So the SEC takes this debate seriously. Very long ramble to say, I don't take that report very credibly. Um, I do have some other information, which I don't really want to say where it comes from. But um, But anyway, it's very close to the source. Extremely close to the source. Just to say that not that a purchase is imminent, but that the appropriate construct for a purchase may be in place. Yeah, so... If if you get what I mean. Yeah, so I, I guess uh, none of us would feel it surprising in the least if this happened at this point. And um, it's going to be absolutely horrendous. And listen, if you listen to this show, be prepared for like Amnesty International ending every single show that we do after if this happens we're going to talk about the football we're going to we're going to keep covering united and every single week without fail we're going to talk about this stuff because if they want um you know beautiful Sport PR, washing. Yeah, yeah it's not coming through here no yeah. because it's not it's not acceptable and and you know the insanely depressing reaction of you know i'm not really involved in any united social media stuff but every now and again um one of my friends will get tagged into something on facebook 
um, about United by one of their other friends. And I just saw it on some random United Facebook page. And the comments were very, very just upsetting and, mm-hmm. and so much ignorance and, and so much myopia. And, and you know, the thing that we always said uh, every time that, you know, we've ever criticised City's ownership and City fan reaction to their ownership, I think we've always said, I'm sure it would be exactly the same if it were United fans. Um, yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Um, and by the way, the other thing that I was thinking about earlier, um, we won't just be talking about uh, human rights abuses in the Middle East, because I think a lot of what happens when uh, Western coverage of human rights abuses in the Middle East is there's a lot of like othering of it. There's a lot of like, oh, these lot that dress different than us um, and worship different gods and all this kind of stuff. These lot are bad. But, you know, we live in a country where um, they try to pass a benefits legislation that was struck down by the Court of Human Rights. Uh, we've just seen absolutely shocking human rights abuses to the Windrush generation um, sure, in this sure. country. And Sorry. And, and sorry, sorry, I'm not trying to cut you off. Yeah, and, and that's that's all very true. And we could we could talk for um like an hour a week on on the injustices of the world, um for sure. So, um look narrowly related to Saudi Arabia, if if they take over, it is a series of things that we need to talk about. You know, which is a war in Yemen and the complete disregard for human life there, a million starving, hundred thousand dead or displaced um like no medical supplies or food aid getting through and then related um the place of the uk in particular government in in supplying arms um and and then we can talk about other stuff so it was it's interesting when you were kind of going on to list some of the the bad that happens uh um, by Her Majesty's government in our name, um, I, I get, get that quite a lot on Twitter when I point out the, you know, why I would be so uncomfortable with uh, the royal, you know, Saudi Arabian royal family taking over, uh, which is like, well, look at your country, uh, the kind of what aboutism argument, and I kind of understand where people are coming from, I guess, um, uh, but it's it's kind of irrelevant. So at the moment, the UK government does not own Manchester United. Uh, neither does the US government. When people talk about the Glazers supporting Trump financially, which they have done, they've held benefits for them, fundraisers, and donated money, um, which is all true. There's just is there is a difference, um, and you know I wouldn't go to to claim that the UK government has a great human rights record. It does not. Um, or has a good record on um, sponsoring wars in the Middle East. It definitely does not, you know. So, um, but I think it's okay to narrow the the plane of discussion down when we're when we're thinking about how it relates to United. Um, the other question I get when I talk about this on social media is, well, what, what are you going to do? You know, if you had any moral compunction, you wouldn't support United anymore. You'd walk away. And and like, there's some argument for that. Um, I think. There's an argument for having done that in 2005, I guess, which a lot of people did do. Um, there's also, I think, it's possible to compartmentalise and say, look, I want them to win on the pitch. Um, I just hate the scumbags who are in charge of our team. It goes to a different level when it's the the, the Saudis because they are using it, not because they're low-rent businessmen like the Glazers who are trying to make a quick buck and would rather the trade-off of spending money 
versus getting dividends to be on the getting dividends side of things. Yeah. Whereas the Saudis want to want to use an institution like Manchester United, 141 years old, to go, hey, look at this lovely shiny thing, and it's not our uh, atrocious human rights rights record. You know, mm. classic sport washing. And so the reason, just to address your first point there, the reason why I think it's extremely important that we do, um, not I'm not sort of like saying every time this conversation comes up, it has to happen, but that we do set the context of understanding that um, we live in a country and certainly like our American listeners live in country where um, the general tenor of assumption in popular culture and the media is that these are the good guys. I mean, we we are in the West, so that's the popular culture we are presented with and consumed. Get it. Yeah. And yeah, and uh, neither of us think like that or feel that way. And I think it's actually quite important, not every time, but to kind of almost preempt the whataboutism to say the reason that we are talking about this is because of the state ownership of United, not because of some sort of agenda. I mean, listen, uh, I remember in, in the early days, the early United rant days, all those comments of like, uh, the Glazer stuff is just anti-Americanism and all that kind of stuff, which it never was, never could be, never will be. Like it's all about the facts of the case and the specifics, and you know. Um, so yeah, this is this is just about um, recognizing that, like you said earlier, we're called Rankcast, but we've always tried to be a place where nuance is uh, is part of the conversation. And I actually completely understand how somebody from a part of the world that is kind of demonized more not just demonized about the facts but demonized more broadly and culturally actually would be very understandable for them to say well you what, what kind of ivory cloud are you sat so ivory tower not ivory cloud what kind of ivory cloud are you sat in and the answer is me and you like we for sure know that we're not sat in any kind of ivory tower and i have to say um i will be much less invested in United winning on the pitch. Like I'll still cover them. I'll still support them. I'll still, well, I'll still f- feel something about them. But but when that club is populated by the equivalent of City today in terms of playing staff and uh, it's managed by whoever, whatever superstar manager of 10 years time is, is managing it and we're winning the Champions League because we've got all this money behind us, I'm not going to be celebrating those Champions League wins with yeah. tears in my eyes, you know. And and by the way, United's revenue this year was bigger than any other clubs on the planet, <laughs> right? We don't need billionaires to take us over. We have piles of money. We just need to use it effectively, right? Just yeah. need to use it effectively. So look there first, and and hey, who who knows whether uh, the Saudis would actually use that money effectively or not? I mean, at City, um, one thing you can say, as well as point out the uh, ills of the owners, you can say they run that club really well. You know, really, really well. They put that money to very, very good effect. Um, it's really dodgy, as we know. <laughs> We've seen all the documents. You know, they brought the receipts, but, um, you know, they, they've done it well. And we don't know that would be true. It's not just about spending money. Anyway, no, that, was a, that was a diversion into yeah. the minutiutiae of actual football rather than something. We Look, and we'll see. Um, yeah, it we it know, can yeah. take a long time to um, conclude a deal of this nature. It's not just about money and, you know, what pennies can be found down the back of uh, MBS's sofa. Um, it's it's also about closing it. It's also about the football authorities here in the UK and whether they would accept that. 
you know, because I do think it would be kind of nuclear moment for for English football to allow in a regime like that, you know, which is, I would say, even worse than the one in Abu Dhabi. Um, and, uh, and, and like, bless it. Because the Premier League's always had this kind of laissez-faire, we're keeping out of it, it's not about politics. But this is really different. Yeah, I know where my guess would land about whether or not a moral stance would be taken in the uh, potential of all the money and revenue and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, just, I mean, this is where you can say, just look at how the UK government interacts with, you know, these these governments. Anyway, that's probably enough of that. Um, talking of uh, oil-backed fake clubs whose fans should be ashamed of themselves. Oh, no, I thought we were previewing a Chelsea game. We're not, we're not previewing a Chelsea game. Um, uh, I got that one modelled in my head. We're playing Partizan, you know, it's the Europa League. We've officially taken a position of disrespect towards that tournament. And then it's Brighton, um, who are not going to be... It, this is like, you know, you look at the fixture and go, oh, Brighton and Oval being at home. Well, maybe we'll get, you know, that is a good fixture. We'll get back to winning ways with that one. But I don't know how we look at that after that game at Bournemouth with anything other than, uh, you know, slight fear. I mean, Brighton in absolutely excellent form since losing to Chelsea 2-0 at the end of September. They've beaten Spurs 3-0 at home. Um, oh, no, they lost to Villa. I thought they beat, won that game. But they beat Bright, um, Everton at home and then they beat Norwich at home. Um, so they, they've not been they, they've not been so good away from home this season in general. They even lost to Southampton at one point at home. Um, and I think they're... Their only away win at home this season has come against Watford, who are in an absolutely shambolic state. But, dot, but dot, they dot. are they are a couple of points and a couple of places ahead of us. So yeah. you know, favourites there, marginal favourites. <laughs> they've yeah, scored, they've I, scored more goals than us this season. Obviously, they have done. I mean, they, they swap manager in order to move forward, and they're sort of doing that. I mean, I, sort, I don't know. I mean, what, I mean, yeah, I guess they are. I mean, yeah quarter of the season gone yep um what what would be a good finish for brighton top half would be yeah would be good wouldn't it yeah what would be think... a good finish for us ball <laughs> <Top half? laughs> yeah i think the thing about brighton is it isn't so much about just the number of where they finish in the league is it it's you know chris hewton was keeping the relegation walls from the door but the football was incredibly attritional and not a lot of fun to watch. And they brought in uh, Graham Potter with, who's got this fantastic reputation. And I think they, you know, they've, they've clearly invested a lot of, a lot of faith in him and, and, you know, they're going with his approach and, uh, and it is, it is paying dividends because one, four drawn three lost four um, is, is a pretty good start for, for Brighton and to have 15 points from the first 11 games, they'll, they'll be, you know, to be, already seven points ahead of the relegation zone um and only eight points off fourth <laughs> they'll be they'll be pretty pleased with that and and you know that they, they, they're going to be a threat because Potter's a smart manager clearly I'm not an expert in in his career or what he's done but he's clearly a smart manager and um that means that they're going to probably play fairly conservatively against us at home which probably means we're not going to be able to score a goal well, look, it, everybody and his dog has seen exactly where United struggle. So keep it narrow, keep it with a low block, 
let United try and dictate the uh, the pattern of the play, and, and United will will struggle. And you just you need those special moments, like a a penalty, but because we win a lot of those, uh, or a, a forty yard wonder goal knuckleball free kick. These are our current options, unless yeah. unless unless we're playing against Norwich. That is. Um, a word for uh, Neil Morpé, their, their top scorer, French striker. Um, he has got two in his last four, scored against uh, Spurs and Everton at home. Because um, he's, he's, where the goals were going to come from that wasn't Glenn Murray's big question for uh, for Brighton. And Glenn Murray is now so old. If, eventually, even Glenn Murray's going to run out. Um and they're, they're spreading the creativity around. I mean, as you would expect with players like Pascal Gross and David Proper and Lewis Dunk in the side. Lewis Dunk, their leading assist maker somehow at the moment. Um, but yeah, I think we, we know we know what to expect from Brighton. They've been playing 3-4-3 uh, a lot this season. Um, and I am nervous about this one, I have to say. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, with good reason too, because um, if the if the game plays out the way we expect it to, then it's going to be a really tough afternoon for United. It would be interesting to see how our defence handles the the kind of counter attacking threat. Really, um, that's that's it's going to be well. It's... We we struggle sometimes because um, like neither Maguire or Lindelof like are that great on the turn, so. Lindelof wasn't, and Maguire never has been. So it, it's it's two weaknesses in in those two players. So it, it's certainly possible to put United under pressure in transition. Um, you know, we'll we'll see whether Brighton have got the tools to do it. Yeah. No, yep. There's not much about their position that looks particularly false either. When you dig into the the underlying data, and their their xG and xG conceded is not a million miles in either direction, different to the actual number of goals they've scored and conceded. So clearly, it looks like they they are creating the chances that they need to be to scoring the goal to score the goals they need to score, um, mm-hmm. and, and they've conceded a, a fair number of goals too. Uh, but it's working. The the score one more than you is working at the moment. I mean, they absolutely battered Norwich according to the data. I haven't looked at, I didn't see the game or the highlights, but they absolutely battered Norwich. But I mean, listen, <laughs> so so did we, and that's 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 where Norwich are at at the moment. They took a lot of shots against Norwich, a, a, a really a lot of shots, um, which and and so and some in very good positions too. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah an, e- an easy victory, uh, which is not what United are going to get. I suspect against um, against Brighton. Although you know, maybe may, maybe there'll be a reaction. Has has when has when Massa blogged yet to tell us there will be? Honestly, um, I mean, before that's after Belgrade as well. Like you, you'd have to think now. We said this about the Chelsea game, and we we're very wrong. But in the Europa League, he really has rotated pretty heavily, and I'm sure he will rotate pretty heavily. And he's going to need to too, because like in the in the Friday press conference. Um, Wambas- I think it was Wambasaka, Maguire, and Rashford were all doubts for the Bournemouth game, um, and now they all played. Um, but you know, muscle injuries are only a, a fraction away, aren't they, from basically every player in the United side? It would seem. And um, I think you sent sent a thing around saying that uh, Pogba. We're, we're talking about December before Paul Pogba's back. Yeah, and he said he's still got two weeks of rehabilitation. So after the international break, and then he probably won't be ready straight away. Although, 
he he does he is one of the players that seems to be fit quite quickly um after the kind of period of of physical rehabilitation uh so you know we'll see but uh, early december it looks like right so a long long good long way off so i guess before we finish the show we should um we should con- connect with our deeply beloved listeners and take some twitter questions Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, not about the ownership because I guess we've probably covered that. We've kind of covered um, that one. Uh, Lucas underscore M United, friend of the show, I guess. Um, I guess that's mean. <laughs> friend of the show. He asked a lot of questions. Uh, if Ollie isn't the answer, who is? Well, I was just looking at the uh, latest odds for um, next Manchester United manager. Uh, Allegri is five to two favorite. I mean, I guess people would like that, but it's a a very different style of manager again. Pochettino, well, um, I guess United would be hoping that he's fired or quits before uh, before they have to buy him out of that really expensive contract. And how's he feeling at the moment with Tottenham below us in the table? Doesn't um, he need a break? Like, yeah, he... you'd think so. You'd yeah. think so. He's a very intense manager, isn't he? Yeah. You know. Ralph Ragnick um, at Leipzig, 9-2. Lauren Blanc, no thanks. No, why? Why is he always up there? It's just lazy, lazy betting. That is Brendan Rodgers. He'd probably do a good job, but honestly, I couldn't take him that seriously. I mean, I don't know why, because he's like a genuinely excellent football manager. I know, but he's just a bit of a twat, isn't he? So, I mean, sure, but we've got this club FC running the show. Saying we're going to make it difficult <laughs> to beat Norwich. <laughs> I don't know. Eric Ten Hag at Ajax. Um, you know, very good young manager. Excellent Ajax team last year. has been broken up a little bit. So, you know, challenging for him this season. Michael Carrick, almost certainly never going to happen. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann, there's an interesting one. With Hoffenheim, very innovative young manager. Uh, 20 to 1. Feels like maybe a step too soon, you know, one step and then up, but who knows? And then Gareth Southgate, no thank you at 20 to one. And that's your top 10. I have to, I have to say, I mean, this is partly just ignorance of European football in general. There's not a single name on that list where I'm like, yes, get him. Definitely get him. There's no Jurgen Klopp in 2015 equivalent when, you know, Somewhat, no, I mean, the, the interesting ones there are Ralph Ragnick and, and Julian Nagelsmann, you know, both both sort of really interesting managers in the Bundesliga. But like um, Klopp was... But, but Klopp... Have, he, yes, he'd, he'd, Klopp had taken Borussia Dortmund to a couple of titles and to a Champions League final and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's like he was a very interesting manager from the Bundesliga who was also absolutely crushing it and winning everything and played like this fantastic style of football. I mean, I know, I know we're not like... I know you don't like it when we, when I say things positively about Jurgen Klopp on on this, you know, institution which is officially opposed to <laughs> <laughs> such a position. But I'm talking about 2015 Jurgen Klopp before he crossed the uncrossable line. Dan underscore Dan B21 says, uh, "Which do you hate most, United or VAR?" I mean, I, I mean, yes, like VAR seems like a bit really boring topic now but uh lots of weird stuff happening in the premier league this weekend as as it is every weekend including um perhaps a more interesting way of thinking about it a discussion of potentially introducing a pitch side monitor which of course the premier league were dead set against 
Um, there was there was a weird one. Like I watched a bit of that Spurs Everton game. It was a very weird one that looked like a Deli Alley absolute. I mean, under the handball rules, a handball that wasn't given. I mean, you can see why it wasn't given. Uh, the Martial penalty shout against Bournemouth where his leg was taken out from under him. It looked way more of a penalty than the Daniel James one the week before. Um, so we've got these two incidents that look sort of similar. I mean, it kind of are coming together, but it did look like the defender. There was, there was much yeah. more of the defender taking the player out in this one. And that wasn't, it wasn't given, didn't even True. look like it was much thought about. And, and and this is where we come back to what level the bar's set at, because I'm not quite sure. It's supposed to be high, but then it seemed to be readjusted at some point. But yeah, now back they, to have, high again. Have they, have they moved it back up this weekend? I mean, there was some meeting, wasn't there? The Premier League clubs, bigwigs all met. Maybe they've uh, they've said we need to put the bar back up again. I mean, it's a complete shambles at the moment. It really is. And I, I don't, I'm not morally opposed to the idea of some sort of implementation of the use of all these cameras to help referee the game but sure. it, it's not working no the implementation's the the bad bit not the uh general concept i mean messy messy it... messy at messy goat messy <laughs> I, I think... <laughs> this doesn't feel like normally a normal demographic of listeners but welcome aboard messy 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 at messy goat messy uh, yeah i'm 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 guessing he likes Lionel messi i mean who does maybe it's Maybe it's Dave Messi who plays in the panorama. <laughs> Which team does Andreas play for in two years? <laughs> oh, oh dear. I mean, did they like him at Granada? I don't know. That's not particularly. Right. Um uh, Sociedad are doing quite well, aren't they, this season? So I don't know. I mean, in the old days it definitely would have been Everton. But now, now it might be Watford, although they might not be in the prem. It's a very, it's a very good question. It's definitely one of the for Inter, Inter. Milan. <laughs> yeah, they're now we're now their feeder club. Yeah, then then uh, the new Everton. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, a, a sale to Spain would probably make sense, I guess, or something like that, uh, since he's played there for a couple of years. But it's not going. It's, it's going to be, you know, Betis. Or someone whose ambition is to like maybe get the Europa League. Yeah. Dan O says, Ed steps aside, you're hired as director of football. What's the first thing you do? Uh, spunk 500 million pounds in the transfer market because that's about what it's going to take to create a good uh, United team, I think. Yeah, well, I'd, the first thing I'd do is I'd meet the head of scout. I'd do the first thing that I'd do in uh, Football Manager. I'd meet the head of scouting, and then I'd filter all his results. Creativity, 15. T- passing, 15. Tackling, 15. CM. That's, that's, that's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> you don't no, get as many of them as you used to. You used to be, like, a guaranteed win, but they don't, they don't come around as often anymore. Alex Sabino says, How many Leicester players would walk into the Manchester United team? Ah, good question. So, sh- shall we? Uh, shall we have a look at the uh, top list of players? Jamie Vardy, your your favourite, Jamie Vardy. Would he get in the United team? <laughs> yeah, Patreon backers will have heard our little debate about Jamie Vardy last week. Um, yeah, I'm instantly, obviously, yeah. Jamie Vardy would get into the team. Uh, ten and eleven this season. Iosi Perez. Yeah, not sure about. No, him. he, he would was, not. He wasn't. He wasn't that good. When he was in Newcastle, you're a Tillemans, yes. yes. I mean, he'd be a very good foil for Scott McDominay. James Madison, yes. Obviously, Andreas in the bin. Uh, Ricardo Pereira, right back, no. 
Uh, and Didi, yes, as a holding player. I mean, I don't know about in the team. Yeah, no, I mean, I like him a lot. He, he likes a tackle, does Ndidi. Um, yes, indeed. Ben Chilwell, 100%. Yeah. Young Koo, uh, probably would, actually. I mean, he's he's been a great replacement for Maguire. I mean, sort of people at Leicester, and they are already talking in terms of him being better than Maguire. So, I'll tell you who Harvey is. Barnes, Harvey Barnes, very nice young um, uh, midfielder, but I don't know whether he'd walk. Well, hang on a minute. <laughs> I mean, how many Leicester midfielders can we get into our team? Uh, he'd be playing him like um, attacking midfield, right? So he, he and he's played off the set through the center or off the left, and he wouldn't play through the center because we'd play Tillemans there. Um, so no, we'd play um, what's that Madison there, uh, and I'm keeping Rashford just about in the team. Um, yeah. Oh no, got to play think... Martial there because Vardy's playing up front. I tell you who you haven't mentioned who is definitely better than Harry Maguire, and that is Johnny Evans, the. <laughs> Premier League's finest centre back. That's, That's only, right. only just a joke. By the way, me saying that Johnny Evans is the Premier League's finest centre back. Virgil Van Dijk is not having a very good season. Uh, well, true. Um, so I, there's five Leicester players there who I think would definitely walk in. Um, and then there's a question mark around Soyuncu and Barnes. Uh, I, looking down the list, no, I don't think there's anyone. I mean, Ham, Hamza Chowdhury is a, a very talented young player i don't think it's necessarily walking into the united he team, doesn't but... walk into the leicester team so we're not having anyone that doesn't get in the leicester team walking into the united team we're not quite there yet not far off but not quite there how, how far we done fell yeah pretty desperate times isn't it leicester 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 going third after today's um games going yeah. very well indeed yeah Adashi says opinions on the season so far. Just just listen to our previous ten podcasts this season. I think it's like been that. I think it's been bad. <laughs> that, that's that's my opinion on this season so far. Bad in hey, my opinion. I mean, I mean, just uh, add a modicum of uh, of um, of criticism to your analysis there, Paul. It could have been worse. Yeah, it's true. We could not be looking like getting through the Europa League group stage and still be in the Carabao. I really like to talk of review of the season. I really liked Marcus Rashford's free kick a lot. Like I liked Marcus Rashford's free kick about three games of watching United worth. Like it kind of justifies 270 minutes, that free kick, just about. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was 11 out of 10. Absolute barnstormer. Yeah. That was. Yeah. I feel. I, mean, I almost I, feel like we haven't talked about how amazing it was enough, but there's not much to say other than I watched it once, made a real, real big noise. Then I kind of thought it. Then the second replay, I saw. I, want, I thought it might have taken a deflection, and then the third replay it was very obvious that it had not taken a deflection, and he actually made the football move like that. I mean, that was yeah. Ronaldo against Portsmouth levels, no question. Oh sure, and and people have made that, uh, a lot of that comparison. Yeah, um, there's only two angles it's worth watching that one from. I mean, it's okay from your standard. TV angle. I mean, <laughs> it's very good. Uh, directly behind, where you can see the ball doing all sorts of weirdness. I mean, that's a googly, isn't it? You know, it's... Yeah, yeah, it's a wrong and fully a wrong and. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it goes it goes left, then right, and then hard left you, again, like extremely up and extremely down, which is very pleasing. Um, um, and then and then the, uh, the 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 sort of fan angle. And just the noise the United fans make. And there's one that so is good. like, don't shoot, don't shoot. Oh! <laughs> yeah. and, uh, the, the thing that I love about the, the kind of collective sound is you can hear that O is the first letter. Because, you know, sometimes a goal is celebrated with a collective, yeah! 
yes and you can hear the why but this is you could definitely hear the oh yes like there's definitely the o's in their first beautiful noise the wife's taking the kids says should ollie give the receptionist more norwegian biscuits <laughs> it was chocolate it was norwegian chocolate Look, why not? Uh, keep the receptionist happy. You might keep your job for another couple of weeks. Adam Arbogast says, should Gomez get a running game since Pereira, Lingard and Fred aren't impressing much? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I kind of feel that actually what should really happen for for Gomez's development is he gets a loan. I, yeah, I don't think that every week, in this I team. Think. We've said it every week and I think dumping him in this team now and expecting him to suddenly turn it on is just unfair. You know, people will be trashing him um, very quickly. Of course, a like, um, bigger thing to think about with um, Gomez, his contract runs up out in the summer, still not signed up. And uh, this week, Tahith Chong's agent said like the terms and the sporting plan aren't right and he's not signing until um, both of those two things are met. I mean, the terms, like, he's going to make loads of money over his career if he's good enough. So that I'm sure they'll work that one out. The sporting plan, that's a kind of interesting thing to bring up, isn't it? Because without a sporting director, how do United have a consistent sporting plan? I mean, Nicky Butt's part of the picture here because he's the man, uh, I've got his, his uh, head of football development, is it? I mean, it's a kind of weird job title. He's, his role is basically helping young players like Chong make their way into the first team, right? So... Part of the technical director's role is, well, what's your three to five year plan on transition of the squad and each individual player? And in, and I guess in the terms of, you know, in the scope of Butts role, it's OK. And what's your development from under 16s to 18s to 23s? You know, and, and typically they, they would have a plan. It's this many games at this stage and this many games at this stage. And then we'll look and we'll see where the development is. And sometimes that gets accelerated. Um, through happenstance or good performances. Yeah, absolutely. But but it's it's telling that agents are starting to say... I mean, listen, I am not entirely convinced that Tahif Chong is uh, of the level required. I, I mean, he's clearly a talented player, but I think Chong and Gomez... So, it's almost the kind of um, the thing that Arsenal fans are getting a lot of with Ozil at the moment, which is whoever's not playing... It's Gareth Barry in the 2010 World Cup. It's, you know, whoever's not playing is is kind of elevated by virtue of the fact that the players around them are not doing well. And I think some of the young players are benefiting reputationally from yeah. from that. Because I think if you put Gomez in the team right now, he would just be set up to fail. That's what I suspect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I suspect he'd look a lot like Andrea, to be honest, and, and just not really be able to take uh, take hold of a game. Nathan McGarren says, would you expand Old Trafford or knock it down and start again? Yeah, Great I mean, question. it's kind of... It's kind of an interesting question because you know I've been I've been to a lot of grounds around both England and and um, around the world since I get to travel quite a bit and and what's happened at some of the really elite grounds that are old like Old Trafford is and I mean parts of it older than others obviously since you know, various you know, hodgepodge of expansions over the year, years is that they kind of committed to refurbishment so at Camp Nou and and uh, Bernabeu they. Bernabeu spent a lot of money refurbishing and there's been a plan for some time at Camp Now to to do a full refurbishment. And I have to say, if you go, it's a really bare-bones stadium. Mm. Like there's not much there apart from like the seats and the big bowl. There's, there's a roof over a quarter of the stadium. Um, there's nothing really in the way of concessions and places to eat and drink and the stuff you get in all these kind of super modern English stadiums. 
um, or even really at Old Trafford. So, um, and then and then you look at some of the new stadiums, especially I mean over here, obviously. So if you've been to the Emirates, it's you know there's lots of places. I haven't been to the new Tottenham Stadium yet, but they've got a cheese bar. Mm. Um, even Wembley is not great, but it has you know more stuff available for fans, and it's kind of more modern feel than um, than Old Trafford. Um, but in the US, they do this really well. I have to say, I mean, um, uh, so you go to um, any of the sort of big top NFL stadiums, and they'll be bringing the food trucks. Like you can get your Korean barbecue tacos there, no problem. This is um, disgraceful, craft beers. disgraceful <laughs> advocation for gentrification here, Ed. By the way, like, I know, I know. Are you, what are you like the consumer experience? Is that what is that what you think? No, it's need? not really what I mean. It's still like it's about the fan experience, isn't it? You know, so um, like if you just want a bare bones seat and you, you want to get in and out and be safe, Old Trafford's fine. There's you know there's you can complain about the roof as we have been doing for the last twenty years or so since they put up the north stand um, and its impact on noise. But like if it's just a bare bones seat. It's actually better than a lot of stadiums because it's not that cramped. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the, the views apart from obviously like the third tier. And the yeah, North the letter block, the letter box view you get in the third tier is horrible. But, yeah, yeah, but everywhere, everywhere else, else is good, like a good view. And but yeah. uh, but I think given the choice between like leveling off each side of it because they can apparently now they can do it because it's well, as we've talked about before it's not such a problem that it's near the train tracks as it used to be because of modern engineering and all that. But, you know, I, you level off all the sides, you make all of them the same number of tiers and put a roof all the way around the top of it and and then and then give it all a big refit and a refurb and, and update the concourses and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I'd rather they did that than knock it down and build a new stadium around the corner because it's... It's Old Trafford, isn't it? Like, there's... right? No, no, that, that's right, and it's that's a few hundred million pounds worth of spend rather than a billion. So, yeah, yeah, it's not going to happen anyway because it's clearly not in the, uh, the anywhere near the priority of the current owners. Well, that's it's likely to be in the priority of whoever owns the club next, whoever that is. Well, maybe. I, I mean, the, the the funny thing, of course, is that any capital infrastructure spending, any capital spending on infrastructure, uh, doesn't count. Uh, when it comes to financial fair play, you can spend as much as you want. You can paint the place with gold, if you like, uh, and call it capital spend, and it's not going to bother you. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I suspect if, if owners are coming in with a with a PR ambition, we are going to be talking about developing campuses to rival the Etihad campus, etc. Oh, it'll all be part of the project, won't it? Yeah. Not, not at all a depressing project. Prospect. Great. Well, we've been. I, I don't know how since we've just seen a big pile of herd. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the United's current on the field project. Yeah. Uh, but we've been talking for a, an hour and fifteen minutes now, Paul. Time flies when you're having fun, doesn't it? <laughs> that Rashford goal was good, though, wasn't it? To be fair, it was really, well, it was good. really. What, was what's good. an unhealthy number of times to watch it? Because <laughs> I've probably watched it about a hundred times this week. I don't know. I, I yeah, I've watched it a lot of times from a lot of angles. That's I don't I don't know if there's an because like essentially watching actual United games is so depressing that isolating one good bit and watching it over and over again is probably more mentally healthy at this point. Um. Anyway. Uh. So. 
predictions for scores in the uh, Europa League game against Partizan Belgrade and the home league fixture against high-flying Brighton and Hove Albion. Um, I Partizan were terrible, by the way. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, proper, properly bad. So I think United will win and I'm just going to say 2-0. Yeah. That's that's what I was also just going to say randomly based on almost of, of course, of course, yeah. So yeah. we'll both go with Tuna in that one. Uh, I can't predict a win. I, I mean, I'm not saying we're definitely not going to win, but it feels really genuinely ridiculous to say that the most likely score in the next United League game is a United win after that Bournemouth performance. Have we been better at home? Kind of, but not... Not really. Not when teams sit deep. I'm going for a one-all draw. We we score fairly early, tail off depressingly. Brighton get one, and we don't even look like winning. I, I'm gonna say two-one somehow. United win. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. I just want to be positive. Yeah, that's standard standard procedure. All right, everyone. Um, Patreon backers, stay tuned. We are gonna uh, for a bonus content this week. Compare. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's start to the other post-Ferguson era managers. So strap yourselves in for that one. Everyone else uh, will be back next week with another one of these. Thanks for listening. Thanks a lot. See you next week.